When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly non-fiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is. Or try to. We'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a book riot podcast and is hosted by me, Alice Burton, and fellow rioter Kim Eukera. We're recording on Thursday, October 13th. Hello, Kim. Hello, Alice. How are you today? It feels like we just talked to each other. <laughs> yeah, we're recording a little early because <laughs> of travel, but yes. um, I'm going to New York City. I'm very excited because I'm going to see 1776 uh, with, <gasps> yeah, with the Ooh. all women and non-binary cast. And oh. I, from a young age, was very obsessed with 1776, the musical, and was like John Adams in that, in like in the movie version played by William Daniels, who later was Mr. Feeney. He was like my beard in high school. Like I was like, <laughs> I'm going to marry John Adams from 1776. I had a photo of him in my locker. But yeah, so it means a lot. So I'm very excited to see this particular production. I hope it's really good. I think the only thing that I really know about that is that 1776 was one of the musicals that was in uh, Grace and Frankie, the TV show. The the gay husband of one of them, he joins a gay theater group and is very excited to play the leading role in 1776. And I like cannot remember who that is. John Adams. No, but who is oh. who wants who plays John Adams? <laughs> Like whether it's Martin Sheen or... Uh, Martin Sheen, that's who it is, yes. I just couldn't remember Martin Sheen's name. That does make more sense than uh, who plays the other person. Sam Watterson. It is Sam Watterson, okay. Yeah. Yeah, um, I was like the Law and Order guy. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Martin Sheen playing John Adams makes a lot of sense. <laughs> and I just, it's such a good role too. I would also be excited. So, great job, Grace and Frankie. Yeah, that's so, well that... That is very exciting for you. I am excited to hear uh, hear about it. I do not have any like interesting travel plans. My conflict with our future recording date is a family get together with some out of town relatives. So, not as exciting as going to New York and seeing a show. Well, it can be exciting in its own way. I mean, it, it will be exciting in its own way, but it's it's not the same kind of exciting. <laughs> no, for sure. <sighs> I don't know any anything else to to share, or we're just gonna gonna jump in. Do I have anything else to share? Probably. Are you, Oh, are you reading anything in particular that's like Halloween-ish? And we can talk about fiction. You know, um, actually, yes. So I, um, on audiobooks, started listening to A Deadly Education, which is this Naomi Novik um, young adult, kind of adult, haunted boarding school kind of book. And I, it's, I listened to the three books of the trilogies back to back on audiobook. And I was like so into them that I listened to them super, super fast. And I got to the end and I was like, I need to listen to these again because I feel like I missed a ton of stuff because I was so invested in the plot of them. Wow. Um, so now I am going back and listening to them. 
a second time, uh, but it's about a, a woman who gets sent to this magic school, basically, except the magic school is trying to kill you, as are, like, all of these, like, preachers that get into the school, and she is, like, a very grumpy, kind of mean person, but then she, like, has her heart softened over time by her friendships with others, and also is still really super snarky, and they're very good. Oh, the speaking of, the School for Good and Evil is coming out oh. on Netflix next yes. week, which I did not like that book, but the series looks really good. The series does look good. It's a very it's similar to what you were talking about. I know Michelle has read at least the first two in that. I think it's called like the Scholomance trilogy. Oh yeah, or mm-hmm. that's what it is. Yep. And yeah, she she really liked it, and I really like Naomi Novik. Uh, her mm-hmm. Uprooted and Spinning Silver. Yeah. So I'm definitely interested in those. I'm reading The Year of the Witching by Alexis Henderson. Oh. Which I read as someone compared it to Handmaid's Tale meets something. <laughs> like probably something <laughs> having to do with witches. So because it's like a closed society and it's like religious, but like in a weird culty way. And this girl, like her mom went into the woods and basically was like a witch and then like had her and then her mom disappeared or was killed or something anyway um it's good clearly i don't have a great grasp on what's happening in it (laughs) but i am really enjoying it i love like i love a themed read so Mm -hmm. i was Mm -hmm. just i'm trying to check out the like all the Halloween reads I can. I'm also semi-determined to finish Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell which I've been reading for well I bought it in 2007 (laughs) and maybe 2005 whatever whenever it came out because i have it in hardcover from when it came out Mm -hmm. and then i I finally actually started reading it this year maybe last year but i'm like halfway through and i think i can do it that would be that'd be a big accomplishment for this year yeah and it's like about magic but like kind of like spooky magic yeah because there's the raven king and stuff so yeah i feel like it's that's on theme Yeah, for sure. Uh, Before we jump into the episode, I just wanted to mention uh, the giveaway that Book Riot is doing for um, a book called Reading the Stars, Astrology for Book Lovers, which is written by us, Book Riot. Uh, The book will help you better understand how your zodiac sign shapes your reading life. So it offers book recommendations to help you build on your strengths, explore areas of growth, and understand your sign, and to learn about the signs of other people, which I think is really helpful. So whether you know your birth chart by heart or you are just getting curious about the world of astrology, reading the stars is for you it is an ideal gift for bookworms with a celestial bent that is what publishers weekly said which i think is pretty cool so uh through the end of the month october 31st you can enter to win reading the stars with an obvious state celestial print notebook and a tote bundle you can find a link to the giveaway in our show notes and reading the stars by book riot is available wherever books are sold exciting yes very exciting uh and with that we will hear from our first sponsor Today's episode is brought to you by Song of the Silks Realms by Judy Eilin. Shi Wei is a talented young musician who was orphaned at a young age. Her sole family is a kindly uncle, but then her uncle is killed, and she is, of course, devastated. With no family and no patron, Shi Wei is facing the possibility of a lifetime of servitude playing the chin. Then one night, she is unexpectedly called to perform for the enigmatic Duke Meng. He surprises Shi Wei further with an irresistible offer. Serve as a musician in residence at his manor for one year, and he'll set her free of her indenture. But the Duke's motives become increased 
increasingly more sus when he and Shue barely survive an attack by a nightmarish monster. It's like, what, <laughs> what's going on here? So this book is a sweeping epic romanticy that follows a talented young musician who is swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young duke. And who doesn't want to be swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young duke? She's living all our dreams, honestly. Make sure to check out the new book. And thanks again to Song of the Six Realms by Judy Eileen for sponsoring this episode. This episode is sponsored by The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy. Robbie and Trevor Cressmont have enough wealth to ensure they'll never be found guilty of any wrongdoing, even if everyone believes they're behind the deaths of their ex-girlfriends. Let us all take a collective angry sigh at that. Lauren O'Brien, the new girl at school, has a dark past of her own, and she's desperate for a fresh start. Except when she starts a relationship with Robbie, her chance is put in jeopardy. During what's meant to be their last weekend together, Lauren stumbles across evidence that might just implicate Robbie. And after a third death rocks the town, she must decide whether to end things with Robbie or risk becoming another cautionary tale. This is an edge-of-your-seat YA thriller that's perfect for fans of Karen McManus and Holly Jackson. Make sure you pick that up now wherever books are sold. And thank you once again to The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy for sponsoring today's show. All right. So for this week's episode, we were talking after our last one that there were just a ton of fall books that we had not gotten to talk about. I don't I don't know why this fall feels like it is particularly full of new and interesting books. I don't know if it's like if that's an accurate thing or if that's just a feeling I have, but I don't know. Have you felt that way too or I feel like I haven't been as on the ball about what's coming out other than the books we've chosen to talk about. And so I was glad that we had the opportunity to kind of go back and be like, oh, yes, here are some of the other of the many, many books <laughs> coming out in September, October. Uh, so, yeah, no, I think I think this is a, a necessary episode. Yes. So we're going to go back and we're going to discover some books that came out sometime this fall that we haven't gotten to talk about yet and kind of. Uh, a lot of these are ones we haven't read at all, so it's more stuff we're, we're interested in or caught our attention. So my first pick uh, of a fall book is The Stolen Year, How COVID Changed Children's Lives and Where We Go Now by Anya Kamnitz, which was out actually back in August from Public Affairs. Uh, and so Kamnitz is an education reporter for NPR, and this book is about how the pandemic uh, interrupted uh, children's lives and how how they've really been affected by this. So the she writes about the kind of the summary talks about how the onset of COVID when COVID happened kind of broke this contract that we have with kids that kids had no school, they were not able to go. And then there was also because they were not able to go to school, they lacked um, many kids lost access to food, they lost access to like heat and a safe place to be during the day, um, the safety that school often provides, uh, and that the cost of losing those things has been really impactful. And so this one caught my attention just because like, we're back at school now, but I don't think that anybody has particularly grasp like what those two years really did to kids. And I'm seeing with my friends and some of my close relatives and um, and people around me, my coworkers and their kids, like teenagers having just like so many mental health problems that I feel like they weren't experiencing before or maybe weren't experiencing in the same ways. And so I just think that something like this is really important to look at how school has become such a safety net for people, but then also like what happens when that safety net was just completely taken away and kids were forced to be at home in during COVID and kind of what maybe the 
the ongoing impacts of that are. So uh, not maybe a like happy book, but I think kind of an important one. Uh, the Stolen Year, How COVID Changed Children's Lives and Where We Go Now by Anya Kametz. Oh, gosh. It's a heavy, yeah, heavy topic. I saw some news article today that was talking about the developmental differences between children who were, I think mm. it was maybe like birth to like one or something in the in like near the beginning of like 20 like well i guess just during 2020 when it was serious lockdown mm-hmm. and they were attributing it to it was just like slightly delayed developmental things and um they were attributing that to uh like not having new stimuli and then also not like kind of with that not meeting new people and like mm-hmm. all of this stuff and so things that and so like you don't learn to say bye as often right because yeah. like <laughs> everyone's just home all the time mm-hmm. oh it's sad anyway yeah that I'm interested in in the sort of how like COVID affected us books that are going to continue mm-hmm. to come out. Um, so it seems like this is in the first wave since we are yeah. still still experiencing it. Still yeah. a pandemic. Anyway, uh, so my pick is Inventing Latinos, A New Story of American Racism by Laura E. Gomez. If this sounds familiar, it's because it came out in 2020. However, this version has new info based on the 2020 census. So we're going to talk about it. So Inventing Latinos, first of all, the um, author Laura Gomez is a professor at the School of Law at the University of California, Los Angeles. Uh, She also has appointments or holds appointments in sociology and the Department of Chicana and Chicano Studies and Central American Studies. So what she's focusing on here is where this concept of Latinos came from. And her argument is that this is recent, like a recent development, and it came about that like we see uh, Mexican Americans, Puerto Ricans, Cubans, Dominicans, Central Americans, and others as as this sort of cohesive group because of uh, the intensity of anti Latino racism, and she sort of just like goes into um, the history of that and how this identity came to be, and then with this extra info, it's analyzing the results of the 2020 census looking at how Latinos have come to self-identify, which is, again, like, so then giving this really um, up-to-date info with that. So, yeah, that is Inventing Latinos, A New Story of American Racism by Laura E. Gomez. That is excellent. And, yeah, I'm glad that they, like, reissued it or updated it with 2020 census information because I feel like that is really an important piece of this that is good to, like, have as context. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. Good pick. My next book is a memoir called Stay True by Wasu, which came out in September from Doubleday. And so uh, this book is a a memoir about friendship. And so um, it starts when the author Wasu is 18 years old and he meets uh, this Japanese-American kid named Ken. And at the time, initially, they like do not get along. Um, he feels like Ken, who is a person who loves Dave Matthews, Abercrombie and Fitch, and being in a fraternity, which I don't know, like that's just like, such a very specific description, right? <laughs> he just they, they don't get along. He thinks he's sort of just like a dude and they're not going to be friends. And so they eventually like do become friends, kind of bonding over being immigrants um, or the sons of immigrants. And sort of this idea that, like, there's not a place for them as the children of immigrants. And so they become, like, very, very close friends very, very quickly in that way that, like, you do when you're, you know, in your late teens or early 20s and just, like, become friends. Um, And then 
suddenly um, Ken is killed in a carjacking. And so the rest of the book is about like how he tries to hold on to the memory of Ken and the experience of their friendship together and what their coming of age together really looked like. All the reviews that I've seen of this one since it came out have all been raves. There's just just so many good complimentary things said about it, which made me really um, excited to read it. It also, <laughs> we like short nonfiction. This one is uh, only like 200 pages. So if you perhaps are doing like a readathon or something upcoming, this might be a really good one just because of the length, because we always like compact books. And so, yeah, I'm just excited about it after hearing all of the the rave uh, comments. So that's Stay True, a memoir by Huasu. Oh, I love a, a short little book for a readathon. Yes, but also I think probably this one is is on the intense side given the violence. That's part of it. But always always like a short one. I mean, that is fair. And sometimes then you have to take a little break in the yes, middle. So maybe it's like read some of it during a readathon, take a break, read something else, then come back. And you can do it within yeah. Ooh, you know the Dewey's twenty four hour readathon is coming up next next week. So it'll have already happened. <laughs> When this comes out. <laughs> what is time? What is time? Oh, gosh. Okay. Uh, I have a pretty big pivot from that, which is The Surprising Lives of Bark Beetles, <laughs> Mighty Foresters of the Insect World by Jiri Holzer and Mark Abrams. So <laughs> when I saw this title, I was very delighted. I did not realize that bark beetles are known as the world's worst forest pests and that they are the ones responsible for Dutch elm disease, like they spread it, which is horrible. If you just sort of look at basic pictures of them, they, they're not attractive. <laughs> they're just, but, uh, I, as always, you know, we love that there are, well, this podcast loves that there are people interested in anything. And this book is like, wow, let me tell you how great the bark beetle is. <laughs> so Jerry Holzer is an associate professor of forest entomology at the University of Florida. And here he uses um, macro photography to look at bark beetle life. So you get to see their, uh, quote, dramatic family stories and then look at their mating strategies, which is always fun with various animals. And then the secret fungus farms where they cultivate their own ambrosia, which I still am not clear on what ambrosia is, but I'm excited to find out in this context. And then just like finding out like if you're interested in are the trees in my backyard at risk for, you know, what these beetles do or just like learning more about their lives. It's just, it's a good little book for that. So perhaps another readathon read. You read Kim's intense pick and then <laughs> The Surprising Lives of Bark Beetles, Mighty Foresters of the Insect World by Jerry Holzer and Mark Abrams. Very delightful. The phrase Mighty Foresters is, that's what makes that title, I think. Something about that is extremely delightful. Because they're so little. Yes, but like Mighty Foresters. I don't, yeah. Excellent pick. I like that. All right. My next pick is called Gospel of Wellness, Jim's Guru's Goop and the False Promise of Self-Care by Rena Raphael, which came out in September from Henry Holt. Uh, and this is a journalistic look at the uh, wellness industry and how while like a lot of like the wellness dialogue and conversation comes from kind of legitimate complaints and concerns, there's often a ton of like weird marketing that convinces people to pay money for things that are silly. 
One of the quotes on the back is that wellness promises women the one thing they desperately desire, control. So uh, this book will, like kind of starts on the premise that um, wom- women in particular are pursuing ideas around health a lot more today than they ever have. So there's all this stuff, uh, juicing, biohacking, clutching crystals or sipping collagen, and that there's sort of a big industry around wellness, which I think is like transparently true. And so she really wants to like dig into that and what it actually means and whether like all of this talk of wellness means that we're actually like feeling better or not. And so it looks at um, the connection between obsession with wellness and how it is connected to uh, feelings of being dismissed and mistreated and overburdened and like this idea that you can sort of manage all of the just like everything that's happening in your life if you just like eat right and get enough sleep and exercise and meditate and then like do all of these things and buy this stuff and then like suddenly that will like solve all of your problems. And so I just think that like I'm I'm like very interested in this topic right now, I think, because it's so common and like there's just tons of stuff on social media about wellness and like but you know, like society is what is hard, not like we don't meditate enough, you know. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um so I'm, I'm just, I'm interested. And I think this, because it's by a journalist, it sort of caught my attention. And I think that is really interesting. So Gospel of Wellness, Jim's Guru's Goop and the False Promise of Self-Care by Rena Raphael. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, now we call it wellness, right? And it was diet culture, mm-hmm. uh, although that's kind of still part of it. And then if you even go back to like, I don't know, like look at the um, Linda Hazard and her like starvation clinic back in the turn of the century. Which, you know, was just like, hey, you know how you cure things? You don't eat. And it's just like people have always had these like weird ideas of, Mm -hmm. oh, no, this is what your body actually needs. To the point that I'm kind of like, I don't think we know uh, a lot. I think we have some ideas, right? Like Mm -hmm. this is definitely bad for you. But it's, yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, it's very confusing. And people say a lot of things. Mm -hmm. So anyway, (laughs) let's talk about Wall Street. Also confusing, and people say a lot of things. So true. Wow, that was a good segue. <laughs> so, Wolf Hustle, A Black Woman on Wall Street by Sin Fabre. Okay, this book is fascinating. And also, okay, we're going to get there. So, basically, Fabre comes from South Bronx Projects and decide- she didn't know anything about uh, the stock market, but decided that she was going to work at a brokerage firm, which was VTR Capital, which is an offshoot of Stratton Oakmont, which is the company where the Wolf of Wall Street, Jordan Belfort, had worked. I did not see the movie Wolf of Wall Street, so I'm going to take this book's word for it. But I know that it's Leonardo DiCaprio, and he looks pretty evil on Mm -hmm. the movie poster. So she discovered when starting to work at VTR Capital that most of the workers were black and brown people who were just doing the sort of like drudge work of finding leads for white male brokers. And this was in the 90s, which I, you know, who knows what it's like now. But she decided that she was going to do whatever it took to be successful. And so here she talks not only about the inequities that were she was facing, she and all these other workers were facing at this brokerage. But then also how she worked and made her way from cold collar to stockbroker and was the only black woman to do this at her firm, which is amazing. I mean, again, like the ethics of being a stockbroker, et cetera. But 
a very impressive accomplishment. So she talks about uh, also just like life in the 90s, like working on Wall Street and like going to these like parties in the Hamptons and like shopping sprees at these like luxury brands like Gucci, etc. And then realizing maybe this was not what she wanted to do, <laughs> which <laughs> um, and deciding to uh, step out of this. And now she splits her time between New York City and Europe and uh, with her wife and four children. So this is also a queer story. What? So exciting. I know. <laughs> I did not see that coming. <laughs> um, so again, that is Wolf Hustle, A Black Woman on Wall Street by Sin Fabre. That is a great pick, and I it is another example of like my other like favorite thing that's hap- another favorite thing that's happening in nonfiction right now, which is kind of stories that we've heard before told by people who haven't told them, and what that perspective changes, right? Because like there are a ton of stories from white men about '90s on Wall Street, but I don't know that those stories necessarily brought in the perspective of like who was doing some of that drudge work to make some of those big deals and stuff happen, you know? And like, yeah, they act like it's just them. Yes, exactly. Um, and so I think I, I'm, I'm excited for more books like this that are sort of like, well, here's actually a different perspective on this thing that you feel like you've heard about before. So great pick. I'm glad you checked for that one. Pulling back the curtain indeed. Yes, exactly. All right. Uh, let us hear from our second sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Tor Books. So if you are a fan of epic fantasy, if you're a fan of Scott Lynch and or Joe Abercrombie, but you want something a little different, you want a hero who's like a bit of a mess, then The Silver Blood Promise by James Logan is for you in its academy dropout slash disgraced noble heir Lacan Cordova's life is in shambles. All he's got going for him is one, he is a card sharp of considerable skill and two, a lot of maybe potentially a little too much wine. So they're, you know, those are the positives. So when the bizarre murder of his father robs him of even the off chance of redemption, Lacan decides to make amends another way. He's going to unravel the mystery behind the killing, even if it takes him to the underbelly of Sophrona, a city of danger, secrets, and merchant princes. Finding the truth is one thing. Finding the truth and staying alive is like a whole other thing. So make sure to check out The Silver Blood Promise by James Logan on sale May 7th. And thanks again to Tor Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Taming Seven is an epic and unforgettable love story in the international bestselling and TikTok phenomenon, The Boys of Tom and Series from Chloe Walsh. So Tommen's cheekiest lad, Jared Gibsey Gibson, has always been a comedian, but inside he is haunted by events of the past and he uses humor to cope, hiding his true self from the world. Then you have Claire Biggs, who is the epitome of sunshine. She's always loved Gibsy, her brother's friend and her favorite neighbor. She also has always seen a side to him that no one else seems to notice, and she becomes determined to tame her wild-at-heart childhood best friend. So The Boys of Tom and Series is an internationally best-selling YA romance series that has taken TikTok by storm. It's perfect for readers looking for new adult slash crossover romance, dual point of views, friends to lovers, marathon worthy TikTok books, and angsty tear jerkers. 
Taming Seven is published today and it's the fifth book in the series. So make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. All right. So second half, we're going to just keep diving into some new books that we haven't talked about yet. So uh, that came out sometime this fall. So I'm feeling kind of exhausted lately. So this book is high on my list to go buy uh, a copy of when I get to a bookstore. And that is Rest is Resistance, a Manifesto by Trisha Hersey, which came out October 11th from Little Brown Spark. Uh, and so Trisha Hersey is the the Nat Bishop, and she uh, has founded uh, the Nat Ministry, which is a whole social justice area focusing on rest and the liberating power of rest and naps and how we need rest for to support healing and justice. So this book is about, it asks the question, what would it be like to live in a well-rested world? And so it looks at sort of this idea of like productivity as like the measure of your success and that this idea that we need to like work constantly and meet these, you know, big standards and feed into this engine that of capitalism and all of this stuff. And her, her argument is that like, no, like we should have a better relationship with rest. We should allow ourselves to rest. We should look to a future where rest is valued and encouraged and just part of how we do things rather than pushing against and having to work and do all the time. Uh, and so this, the, um, the book and uh, her movement is rooted in, uh, cent- or excuse me, is centered in black liberation, womanism, somatics, and Afrofuturism. And so she uh, writes this book kind of with a mix of storytelling and advice. And I just, you know, I really do love the idea. I'm not a big nap person, but I do. The idea of rest really is appealing lately. So Rest is Resistance, a Manifesto by Trisha Hersey. That is important. It is. I forget when I started following that account on Instagram. I love that account on Instagram. I love it. It's really good. So very glad that there is a a book accompaniment to that. Okay, I'm going to talk about Pete, (laughs) meaning Pete Boggs. And I'm really excited to do that because I listened to a podcast once that was talking about Bodies found in peat bogs, which is not what this book is about. And it was talk the the host or the guest was talking about all of the different uses for peat and how we do not value it enough. So, okay. Uh this is Fen Bog and Swamp, a short history of peatland destruction and its role in the climate crisis by Annie Pruel. So this is Pulitzer Prize winner Annie Pruel, if you're saying the novelist. Yes, that same person. So here she's talking about wetlands, but particularly peat bogs, and how by storing carbon emissions, they contribute to climate change. Fens, bogs, swamps, and marine estuaries are dependable resources, and we have misunderstood the wetlands for decades now, if not centuries. In this book, uh, she shows us the fens of 16th century England, Canada's Hudson Bay Lowlands, uh, Russia's Great Vasyugan Mir, Meyer, America's uh, Okefenokee National Wildlife Refuge, and then the 19th century explorers who started destroying the Amazon rainforest. So when people did not understand the importance of peat bogs, they just started draining them. And being like, what does it matter? (laughs) But peat is the, or the peatland ecosystem, is the most efficient carbon sink on the planet because peatland plants capture carbon dioxide. So 
if you have like a bog, it is doing a lot for the environment as opposed to um, just being also like a habitat for many, many animals, right? Like Mm. they provide habitats for uh, caribou, moose, beavers, uh, cranes, various, I mean, you know, like various birds. And then obviously there's like lizards and things. Yeah, very lots of animals is the point here. And then 20% of home heat in Ireland comes from peat. It is also used for fuel in a bunch of other countries. But again, the most important thing, in my opinion, is this whole thing about storing carbon. And if peat decays, carbon dioxide is going to be released into the atmosphere, contributing to global warming. But if you just leave it, and then it stores all this carbon. So there's also this movement to re-wet all these peat bogs. And it's very exciting. (laughs) I don't know why I'm so jazzed about them. I just think they're so cool. And the only association I had with them growing up again was that they were where we found bog bodies that then people (laughs) put in museums, which, you know, there's like some ethic things there. But now instead, it's like also, oh my gosh, they, it turns out that nature makes things that are useful (laughs) (laughs) um, or just very pretty. And they're, uh, they're just, they're just so cool. So Annie Proulx's like love for the environment that she like puts into all of these novels that she writes Mm -hmm. um, is very touching. And I'm so excited she's doing nonfiction. So this is Fen, Bog and Swamp, a short history of peatland destruction and its role in the climate crisis by Annie Proulx. Yes, I I saw this book when it came out and I was just delighted that it exists because what a great like mesh between writer and topic and an important topic that like it would be good to learn more about in a like very well done way. So excellent pick. Yeah. Well, it's another it's another uh, pretty short book. So if you, you know, people look, it's 208 pages. Look at that. Yeah. Every love, love short nonfiction. All right. Uh, my next pick is called Somewhere Sisters, a story of adoption, identity, and the meaning of family by Erica Hayasaki, which came out October 11th from Algonquin. And so this is um, a story about identical twins who were born in Vietnam, but raised on uh, opposite sides of the world because they were separated when they were uh, young children. So uh, in 1998, the two girls were born. Uh, ha uh, one of the twins was taken in by her mother's her aunt, and she, so she grew up in a rural village in Vietnam. Um, she went to school. She kind of just had a, a, I guess, a typical rural Vietnamese childhood. They didn't have electricity very often. They had monsoons. You know, just that's what it was. Uh, and so her twin sister uh, was adopted by a white American family. Uh, she was renamed Isabel, and she grew up in the suburbs of Chicago with um, a non-biological sister named Olivia, who was also adopted from Vietnam. And so those two attended a white Catholic school. They played soccer. They got ready to go to college. Uh, and so when Isabella's adoptive mother learned that Isabella had a biological twin back in Vietnam, their lives were upended, although the um, summary of the book doesn't really say exactly what that means, and I haven't read any of it, so I'm not sure. But um, so, but I assume they eventually meet each other and have to grapple with the fact that they are twins but grew up uh, completely different lives. And so Erica Hayasaki is a journalist, and so she spent, it says, years and hundreds of hours interviewing um, all of the family members of the girls and then brings their kind of experiences to life, um, exploring ideas about adoption and what it means to um, give a child a good life in the different ways that they were able to. 
also talks a little bit about twin studies, which I think is really interesting, uh, and then also about transracial adoption and some of those other kind of big conversations that are happening. So in the book copy, it mentions um, All You Can Ever Know by Nicole Chung as a read-alike, which is a book that I really loved. And so that's one of the other reasons this one caught my attention. So uh, Somewhere Sisters, A Story of Adoption, Identity, and the Meaning of Family by Erica Hayasaki. Oh my gosh, Nicole Chung's book is so good. It's so good, yeah. Oh, goodness. This is not at all about transracial adoption, but (laughs) did you see the movie Big Business with Bette Midler and Lily Tomlin? No. Okay, if anyone listening has seen it, then you understand what I'm getting at here. So it's basically like Bette Midler and Lily Tomlin both play twins, but one set of twins, like basically you end up with like one Bette Midler and one Lily Tomlin for two families because they're swapped at birth. Like the nurse is like, old and she just like puts the wrong baby in the in one of the in each of the bassinets uh because the two moms are delivering them at the same time and one family is like really rich and lives in new york and runs a huge corporation and the other one like lives in jupiter hollow like west virginia and they but then the jupiter hollow people their home is being strip mined by like the big terrible corporation in new york so but it's very like you know, like, the Jupiter Hollow people are nice, and then you have, like, the New York people, and they're, like, mean, and then they meet, and then there's, like, <laughs> four of the. Okay, anyway, this is, I understand that it's different. <laughs> I get that. But I was reminded when you were talking about she grew up with, like, dodgy electricity, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other one grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, and I was like, oh, that's kind of, like, big business. <laughs> But very different. I see how you made that connection. But yes, very different. I really love that movie. Okay. <laughs> My next pick is The United States of Cryptids, A Tour of American Myths and Monsters by J.W. Auker. I'm very excited about this. It's from Quirk Books. And uh, Auker looks at mysterious monsters from... Well, just like a bunch of the states. So basically, (laughs) you look at things like, which I had never heard of. And I used to call myself a cryptozoologist on my voicemail. So Batsquatch of Washington, which is a winged Bigfoot that they said emerged (laughs) from the eruption of Mount St. Helens. I don't think that's true. (laughs) I'm just just gonna call it. Uh, There's also the Nan Rouge of Michigan, which is a fierce red goblin that apparently is spotted before every major city disaster in Detroit. Ooh, that's like they said that um, Mothman appeared before the destruction of the bridge in West Virginia. And they were like, oh, are they linked? There must be something with like monsters and trying to trying to make them like an omen or something. I don't know. That's really interesting. Okay, there is the Flatwoods Monster of West Virginia, which is a robotic extraterrestrial that crash landed. And ro- I'm sorry, I again, I believe in a lot of these things, but like <laughs> not these. Okay, the Lizard Man of South Carolina, a reptilian mutant that attacked a teenager in the summer of 1988. I would buy that. The Gloucester Ghoul of Rhode Island, which is a fire-breathing dragon that guards a horde of pirate treasure. That's not real. That's the, that's the one I want to be real, though. <laughs> You're like, no, I want the treasure dragon to be a real. Treasure dragon. Yeah, that's what, I, that's what I would like. So it's all about American folklore and history, and it's illustrated. It's just very fun, you know. And like me, you can go through and decide which ones you think are maybe real. And which ones are definitely not. <laughs> so that is The United States of Cryptids by J.W. Auker. 
That's an excellent Very Alice pick. Uh, I'm glad you talked about it. Thanks. Um, so my next pick, I guess, is like more related to the, my previous one than I initially thought when I put them down. But I don't know. This must be another theme that I'm interested in that I hadn't really thought about. So it's called Homebound, An Uprooted Daughter's Reflections on Belonging by Vanessa B. Uh, came out October 11th from Astra House. And so this is a book about... She explores the way we define home and belonging. So uh, Vanessa B. was born in Cameroon. She was adopted by her aunt and her aunt's uh, husband. She um, moved to Europe or she experienced housing insecurity. Eventually, she moved to the United States. Um, She traveled with her mother. Um, They lived in a few different places, and eventually she settled in Reno, Nevada. She... um, was a practicing evangelical Christian in her 20s, um, and she then went on to law school. When at law school, she kind of changed her belief system. She got a divorce. She left the church and pursued a career in economic justice. And so um, all of that leads to this book that is about kind of grappling with questions about, like, what is home? Where is home? Is home the country we were born in? Is it the place we live? Is it the body we have? Is it the names we use? Like, what is that? And so um, the other part that really, like, caught my attention about this one when I was looking at it is it says that it's organized unconventionally around dictionary-style definitions of the word home, which I think sounds really... Um, like fun and interesting and uh, just like a different way to approach this topic. And I, the cover I really like, and I just, I think it sounds, sounds like a good one. So that is Homebound and Uprooted Daughter's Reflections on Belonging by Vanessa B. Oh, that's good. You, yeah, I understand the whole link between that and that. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Do you think that you're gravitating towards these sort of like stories about home and belonging and stuff? <laughs> family it's interesting uh i feel like every now and then i'll notice like a theme in books that i'm reading and i'm like wait a yeah. minute <laughs> um okay my last pick is american sirens the incredible story of the black men who became america's first paramedics by kevin hazard uh this is out september 20th from a books if you're saying first paramedics that is correct also paramedics in a civilian sense have not been around for very long meaning we're looking at about 50 years which is just bonkers but it's true that is bananas to me yeah uh so the first like civilian paramedics in america were a group of mostly black men in pittsburgh and uh they their work came about because In 1966, there was a report called Accidental Death and Disability, the Neglected Disease of Modern Society. It was also known as the White Paper uh, that showed that soldiers who were seriously wounded on the battlefields in Vietnam, like during the Vietnam War, had a better survival rate than individuals who were seriously injured in motor vehicle accidents on California's freeways, Uh, which is surprising. But they were talking about the difference was being able to transport them to def- like sort of definitive care, like a hospital. And so they had, you know, like trauma care ready for soldiers and then medical corpsmen who like knew how to do these uh, emergency procedures, whereas in the U.S. we did not have that. So they established 
this group and this book talks about the first men who were doing this, uh, which included men like John Moon, who was uh, an orphan who found his calling as a paramedic, um, Peter Safar, who is the Nobel Prize nominated physician who invented CPR and then uh, sort of came up with this idea for a trained ambulance service. And Nancy Caroline, who is a young doctor who uh, turned a, quote, scrappy team into an international leader. And um, this thing was called Freedom House. And it's just like this. It's it's just again, I can't believe this was only in like the late 1960s slash early 1970s that we did not have the service until that mm-hmm. point. Um, and so learning that story is amazing. And I'm glad it's being told, especially that I had no idea that the first paramedics were black men, um, which again, uh, history being revealed. Here we are. Uh, So that is American Sirens, the incredible story of the black men who became America's first paramedics by Kevin Hazard. Yes, I agree with you on all of those things. I like that until like the 1970s, there were not paramedics as bananas to me. And it is fascinating that these are the first paramedics. And yeah, just just sounds really good. So uh, those are some books from the fall that we hadn't gotten to talk about. There are many, many, many more. But um, there's just, uh, yeah, hope that your fall reading has been good and that maybe some of those recommendations will help it be even better. And with that, we will wrap up as we normally do by talking about the books we are reading uh, right now. So I'm actually going to talk about a fiction book that I am reading that I've been making my way through. Uh, It's called Girls Burn Brighter by Shoba Rao, uh, which is a story of two young girls who um, meet. They live in India. They meet. um, One of them is a little bit more well off. And so then uh, the other girl comes to work for her family. Uh, They become very close friends very quickly. And then... um, Something happens and one of the girls runs away and the rest of the book is about them sort of trying to find their ways back to each other um, as young women in India and the United States. It's very good. There's content warnings for sexual violence in a few different ways, but it is just, it's very powerful, I guess. Powerful is a silly word, I guess, but it's um, just like a good book about friendship and like the ways that they're trying to come together and um i'm really absorbed in it and like anxious to see how it all wraps up and if they will eventually be able to find their way back to each other um because it's it's good so girls burn brighter by shoba rao powerful is not a silly word i always feel like it's sort of overused and like Mm. kind of like a placeholder and it's sort of like Something I just just don't like it as a descriptive word for books. I understand that. But that's just a me thing. Like the word artisanal. (laughs) Sure. Anyway, I had a past job where uh, it was describing things and uh, my boss was like, I don't want artisanal said anymore. Anyway. (laughs) Okay. So my current read is The Castle on Sunset, Life, Death, Love, Art, and Scandal at Hollywood Chateau Marmont by Sean Levy. It's really interesting. I'm doing it as an audiobook, uh, furthering my 2022 reading of audiobooks. And it just talks about the history of the Chateau Marmont, how it came to be, and then the various people who stayed there, including people like Marilyn Monroe and Led Zeppelin. I cannot name a single Led Zeppelin song. Like, I'm sure I've heard them and I know them, but if you're like, what what did they do? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) But I know that apparently Led Zeppelin uh, rode motorcycles through the hallways of the Mm. Chateau Marmont, which is also bananas. But anyway... 
So that's The Castle on Sunset uh, by Sean Levy. So you can find us on social media. I am at It's Alice Time and Kim is at Kim the Dork. Our amazing audio editing for this episode was done by Jen Zink. Thank you, Jen. Uh, if you have a few minutes, we'd love it if you take the time to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. That helps people find us more easily. And while you're there, you can follow us. You get new episodes the very minute that they come out. With that, I'm Kim Ukara. And I'm Alice Burton. And we thank you for listening to this week's episode of the For Real Podcast. Podcast.